Saturday morning. It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, and Ben Lewis with you. Andrew Holland is our technical director. It is game day in the city of Toronto. Maple Leafs taking on the Carolina Hurricanes this evening at Scotiabank Arena as the Maple Leafs look to make it two wins in a row following that inspired efforts the other night against the Pittsburgh Penguins. It is, it is also a game day when it comes to Blue Jays baseball. Great for league action beginning today. Blue Jays and Yankees squaring off at 1 o'clock as we'll have the pregame show here at uh, 12.30. Trent Thornton gets the ball for the Blue Jays today in the first game of spring. It's not feeling like spring outside, that is for sure. Still a little bit uh, chilly here in the city of Toronto, but nothing like it when uh, baseball is finally back, Ben. It's uh, always an enjoyable time of year. Let you know that better weather is on the way, even though uh, we can't see it right yes. now outside. Yeah, certainly. I'm, I, I'm always uh, jealous of, of seeing some of the shots from Dunedin, Florida, from our colleagues enjoying uh, the beautiful weather uh, down there. But certainly uh, I always get hyped kind of like early February, knowing that baseball is around the quarter. Uh, and then it feels like we have such an extended period of time before we get the real like opening day. But uh, I think it helps uh, getting getting it all hyped up. And I, I just feel like uh, whereas past years we've had different storylines, you're hearing about different injuries and getting excited about your team. We've been fed the one storyline repeatedly over the past past month or or two, even as uh, the Houston Astros and the cheating scandal. And I think that's made things that much more interesting, honestly. Yeah, even spring training baseball with the Houston Astros is going to be must see TV just yeah. to see how um, other teams react to them potentially on the field. But uh, we'll chat about Blue Jays coming up later in the program. Like I mentioned, it is uh, game day when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs. They'll host the Carolina Hurricanes, who were uh, 5-2 losers last night at home against the uh, New York Rangers. So the uh, Hurricanes coming in a little bit PO'd as well. But uh, the Maple Leafs guys, uh, all the doom and gloom that was put forth, uh, put to rest a little bit, at least for one night following that impressive 4 nothing win over the Pittsburgh Penguins on Thursday. And I think what stood out to everybody just watching that game was, one, the effort level, the uh, give-a-bleep meter, and the attention to details. Like, that's arguably the best game that this team has played all season long under either Sheldon Keefe or Mike Babcock. And, you know, because of that, it gives you a sense that when these guys put it together and if these guys put it together, they could potentially go on a, a pretty deep run. It's just one game and you don't want to take too much away from that, but it's it's not as if this is some plucky underdog, uh, Mark. This is a team that has a ton of talents and could be adding some more before the trade deadline, but uh, that's about um, as good of a game as anyone could have asked for the other night against the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was the game that you wanted to see and it was the game and the effort that needed to happen for the Maple Leafs. Um, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I don't think, I think if they came out with anything less than that effort on Thursday, you would have had a real issue. I mean, there was nothing, there was no good takeaway from their previous meeting against the Penguins earlier in the week. And, you know, as happy as you are to, and relieved, I guess, to see them actually care and, you know, get up for the second game of that back-to-back -back against the Pens. I mean, I think part of you is equally as frustrated that it's like it had to take a terrible effort on Tuesday to to see this effort on on Thursday um, to to face the the Penguins again. So, like, you know, it's just really frustrating. It's great to see that they stepped up and they answered the bell on Thursday, but it, you kind of see that game 
And you're like, I don't understand how they played so badly on Tuesday. Is this even the same team? And it's just kind of like you wonder why it has to hit rock bottom before you can see an effort like you did on Thursday. Yeah, uh, you kind of took the the words right right out of my mouth with uh, having to hit rock bottom. Why did uh, this guy have to be falling last Tuesday night, losing just a, a horrid game to the Penguins? And obviously Pittsburgh is a great team, but they got completely manhandled Tuesday night. And yeah, it felt like the sky was falling the next day. Uh, media and fans alike, Twitter was lit. We had, what, Fire Dubas trending. Uh, everybody concerned about this roster construction. The blue line's a mess. Freddie Anderson's no good. And we've completely flipped the narrative with just one game just one performance has uh had everybody again believing in this hockey team so i'm i'm guess i'm trying to find a balancing act of what this team is i don't think they're the team that we saw tuesday night but are they really as good as what we saw thursday night so i i think somewhere in between is what the toronto maple leafs are you kind of wish uh, at this point of the season we had a more clear identity, I suppose, on who this team is. We know how great the top six forwards are. We know what they can do offensively. Freddie Anderson's have had an iffy season, but is that more because of the struggles on the blue line, injuries? So I, I hope, I guess, more questions can be answered over the next week or two of hockey, just something more steady from this hockey team. Yeah, and that's what people want to see. Consistency, they want to see this team just you know, give a damn every single night because that's uh, what been, what's been missing it a lot of times um, for the team this year. But, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, like the fact that, you know, the players that uh, called the other players out, you know, really showed up in that game. And Jake Muzzin right at the top of the list. Um, he was arguably the best player for the Maple Leafs in that game. You know, Mitch Marner even talking about work ethic. There were a lot of shifts where he, Austin Matthews, and Zach Hyman on the ice were just um, dogged on the puck and, and really grinding out some, you know, big-time shifts in the Defensive zone. So, um, really, nobody in that game you could point out and say that person had a tough one. Uh, everybody played um, at the very least an average game, and, and a lot of guys played above average. And, you know, Jake Muzzin did mention it after the game that it's hard to play that way every single night. Like to play that physicality in the regular season, it's a long year. And if you do that, you're going to grind yourself to the bone and, and it's going to be difficult. But, you know, this stretch specifically where, you know, the Maple Leafs are uh, life and death essentially for the playoffs. They only have to beat one team and just be better than them the rest of the way. Um, but because they need the points so desperately, you can't have any more nights off. These have to be playoff type games where, um, you know, you have to play like it is uh, game seven of the Stanley Cup final in order to, you know, get into a playoff spot. Tampa Bay has been really, really bad, but uh, they are still a team that uh, has a pretty favorable schedule here um, that could sneak in as well. So um, that's that's the thing. Tonight will be the big test, guys, that if they can show up and have a similar performance against Carolina, then uh, that's going to say a lot. But if they lay another egg, um, at least when it comes to the effort standpoint, Mark, it's, it's going to be a tough sell, I think, for the fans once again because everyone's going to jump off the bandwagon, whereas, you know, I think a lot of people have jumped back on no doubt and you know i appreciate what muzzin has to had to say there and that you know it's tough to go you know zero to 100 every shift you know every game it's tough to do but like this is the reality now i mean you've you've made your bed you have to play at a higher level just because you've been treading water all season and the inconsistency is real i mean yeah i i agree with ben i don't think that they're the team that we saw on tuesday against the pens but i'm certainly not ready to anoint them the team that they were thursday night either i mean if they you know scuffle against carolina at home and you know with carolina on the second game of a back-to-back -back, it's it's a tough look i mean you're you, 
nobody's doubting what the Leafs can do offensively and when they play a whole 60 minutes. I mean, we talk about Austin Matthews all the time on the show, how he's among the league leaders and goals. And when Mitch Marner's going, he's there's few people you want on your team other than him. But it's just if I don't know what to expect tonight, just because that's that's been the season in a nutshell. You think that <laughs> you're ready to take the next step, and then it's you know maybe they take a, a an opponent lightly just based on that they're on the second night of a back to back. I don't know. So you're right, Rob, in that you just really need to see more from the Leafs and you need to see more in certain uh, in certain areas of the schedule and coming off of that huge win on Thursday this is a huge this is another huge game you don't want to take that step back this time around yeah look they they have 20 games left in this schedule right now how could you possibly be taking anyone lightly at this point in the season when you're clinging on to this third spot in the Atlantic Division and and Toronto's been incredibly fortunate in a sense that uh, these other teams behind them have been playing the hockey they've been playing. Uh, we talked about the, the Florida Panthers have lost seven of 10. Uh, they're really scuffling. The Carolina Hurricanes had a great opportunity last night, lose to the New York Rangers and now are coming over to face Toronto. So I think we're going to get a very, very desperate Carolina Hurricanes game. Uh, I don't know if we have confirmation, but I, I'm thinking it's Jack uh, Campbell and Nett tonight. I, I don't know if that's certain or yeah, not. Or I thought it would be Frederick Anderson coming off the, the start that he had uh, the other night. But, uh, yeah, we don't have official confirmation unless you're seeing something on uh, the Twitter sphere right now. It, no, it, no, no, no. Uh, I, I had read that we thought maybe Jack Campbell will get this start, but maybe it is Freddie Anderson. Uh, how do you take him out after a shutout performance against, against a team like the Penguins? Uh, everybody in in this Toronto squad should be completely fresh and ready to go. Whereas this hurricanes team on the second night of a back-to-back, I think this Maple Leaf squad, especially offensively should be looking to lay the first punch in the first period. Uh, see if you can get catch Carolina uh, with some tired legs. And you look at the stretch of schedule, the next three games feel very vital because you have Carolina, Tampa Bay, who's been on fire and then Florida, who's just right behind them with the game in hand, but a couple points back after that, things get a little easier. So uh, this, this game, just like all of the final 20 of this regular season, absolutely crucial. Yeah, it definitely is, and uh, there's just no um, putting your taking your foot off the gas at this point if you're the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. And, and I like that you brought up Frederick Anderson because I think he at least answered a lot of critics, Mark, for that one performance. It's just one game, but he was back to being steady Freddie. There, there was a moment there in the first period on the penalty kill where he was definitely the best penalty killer, making a ton of saves and, and keeping the Penguins uh, off the board. And, and he's a guy out of, you know, a lot of the players on this team just needed a bounce-back performance, just a game to feel good about himself. He mentioned earlier in the week you know leading up to that game on Thursday that you know his his mind's kind of been elsewhere it's been a tough go for him and you know we uh, understand with goalies uh, a lot of times it's just mental and you're trying to get in the right mind frame and and this is a guy that's been so consistent for so many years especially since coming to Toronto that you knew at some point he was going to figure it out and maybe that was the turning point against the Pittsburgh Penguins for sure and I think it was great for Keith to go back to him on Thursday obviously you know not a good showing on Tuesday, but like we said, that permeated throughout the entire team. I I didn't love Anderson's game on, on Tuesday, but you could say that about a lot of members of the Leafs that night. So I like that you showed confidence in your guy and went right back to him on Thursday. And, you know, you talk about him, Rob, saying how his mind's kind of been elsewhere. I mean, I think the Jack Campbell acquisition 
is huge for him mentally only because, you know, you're always hearing about, oh, you know, you don't want to give up the crease. You're kind of worried about competition and who's taking the net and whatever. But I think, you know, a lot of pressure was on him just knowing that he was the only reliable goaltender, knowing that Michael Hutchinson wasn't getting you the save. So I think, you know, now Jack Campbell's been here a couple of weeks. Anderson seems like he's uh, recovered from whatever injury was ailing him. You're starting to see the consistency in the net that had been missing, and you hope that they keep it going. Yeah, certainly uh, having stability. I think Jack Campbell acclimating to the Maple Leafs so quickly, just as he said, like in a two-week span, uh, definitely lifts some burden off the shoulders of Freddie Anderson, who has, as you mentioned, probably for a lot of that first half of the season, feeling like if he's playing, say, the first or the second half of a back-to-back, I have to come up huge here tonight. We need these two points because it feels like we're going to get zero points in the other game. And that's probably not a great feeling as a goaltender. Uh, I felt like a lot of this season... Freddie Anderson um, has been hung out to dry a little too much by his blue line, though, honestly, especially I I look at the way the game went Tuesday night and I'm not claiming that Freddie Anderson played well, but that defense hung him out to dry on multiple occasions against a high octane, high octane penguins squad. Uh, So getting the effort that he got in front of him Thursday night, Jake Muzzin, kind of the leader of the troops in that sense uh, was, was huge make him feel a little more comfortable. Uh, Not that he has to come up with a big highlight reel save like every period to keep them in the game. Uh, We haven't seen a performance like that from Freddie Anderson just in terms of comfort, I think, in that in a while. It it felt like a a low-stress game for Anderson, which we haven't had many of those with this Maple Leafs team. Yeah, well, that's that's the biggest thing right now with this Maple Leafs team for large stretches that... You know, this this team just needs goaltending. And it doesn't have to be incredible goaltending, and that helps, but of course, but just average, right? Just average goaltending um, would be solid for uh, this Maple Leafs team because uh, they have really been missing that for large parts of the season. Uh, but Frederick Anderson, you would just hope this is a turning point for him. Jack Campbell's been great, uh, no doubt about it, but Freddie Anderson's the guy that needs to uh, lead this team uh, moving forward. He's still under contract for next year. And I love the fact that Sheldon Keefe went to him the other night and not Jack Campbell, because mm-hmm. if you go to Jack Campbell, as you know, a lot of people have been saying, you're creating your own problems here. Yeah. Um, if either he plays well or plays poorly, then then you've got some you know bigger issues at play that you don't want to um, deal with. And you look at uh, some of the other guys that really stepped up aside from Frederick Anderson and Jake Muzzin. You know, I mentioned Mitch Marner before, a guy that really backed up his words. But I think Austin Matthews and Zach Hyman, um, up and down the lineup, even that third line, Alex Kerfoot, Kasperi Kapanen. I mean, there's just nobody in that game that I looked at, eh, maybe aside from Frederick Goche, uh, who I was kind of like, oh, I don't understand the, the point of this, <laughs> uh, what he's doing out there. But everybody on that team just backed up the feelings that a lot of the other teammates were putting out there. Um, so, like I mentioned, you, you're just hoping that carries over into tonight's game against the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, but uh, Dennis Maligan, I want to bring up as well, guys, the uh, new acquisition the other day from the Florida Panthers. And uh, he's a guy that, uh, you know, I was reading Scott Wheeler's piece on the athletic and just does a lot of the little things well. And I think that's something that's been missing from this team attention to detail. He's not a guy that's going to wow you physically. He's got some skill, of course, played with uh, Austin Matthews over in Switzerland before coming to the NHL. He's had a, you know, an okay career in the National Hockey League so far with the Panthers. But it, it says something that a guy who doesn't have a single practice with the team can just jump in and uh, look that impressive. Um, you know, it helps to play with John Tavares and William Nylander, Mark. But uh, I, I thought uh, Dennis Mulligan, at least for one game, was pretty solid. Yeah, I, I mean, from what 
you've been hearing about him. It seems like he just fell out of favor with the Panthers and just, you know, not enough, you know, maybe too skilled to play in the bottom six, but maybe not skilled enough to play with the likes of like Huberto and Barkoff there or whatnot. So, it, you know, it seems like he has a bit of skill. And like you said, you, I think that Keith thinks that he can hold his own by just throwing him into the fire on a line with Tavares and Nylander. And obviously those guys are going to hold their own on the line. So you just have to, you know, try not to screw up too much and you should be looking pretty good. But I, I just, uh, I just think it's, uh, you know, it's not a move that's going to blow anybody away, but I think it's an astute move in a way that you can kind of see if you found gold here. I mean, we don't know who's going to be coming in and out of the lineup uh, with the trade deadline looming here. So you want to try to find some some gems that you can kind of just depend on if you have to if he has to be the thirteenth forward one night or you know you've kind of auditioned him to see like you know what if he has to go into the lineup on a regular basis after the deadline he's a guy that we can trust and you know he also said that he liked to play for the Canadians or the Leafs uh, as, as one day and now he's got his wish in Toronto so I think that says something too if you're if you're motivated to, to play on a team that you've wanted to play for and you're, you know, getting your shot and you're no longer buried in uh, the hockey capital of the world in Sunrise, Florida, it's uh, it might be a good uh, it might be a good uh, fit for the Leafs here. So I had no problems with the move and we'll see what he can do. Yeah, he certainly took advantage of the opportunity right away. And you kind of hit on the point really of it's not a trade that is going to wow this market. I, I'm sure, you know, 90% of the Leafs contingency, if not more, after we make the trade for Dennis Mulgan, people are Googling his name, figuring out what is this kid about and uh, what can he really bring? But that is the reality of the construction of this roster right now, that we're not going to see a trade ahead of the trade deadline on Monday that is going to massively move the needle. That's going to completely wow us. Like, the Jack Campbell-Kyle Clifford deal, in my opinion, is probably going to be the biggest one we see. And that was just to get, essentially, security at your backup goaltending position. Um, it, it's possible maybe they make an additional move for one defenseman. But, I mean, even getting a read on the market right now, if you want a high-end, like even second-pairing defenseman, it, it feels like you have to pay an arm and a leg. And yeah. I just don't see Kyle Dubas doing that. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to get these little additional pieces, like a Dennis Malkin guy's you don't really know as much about, but as you hit on just little attention to detail, if he can make the right decisions when you're playing alongside super superstars, like a John Tavares and William Nylander, if you can kind of be sort of the invisible man, who's just making the right small play, it, it can fit. And it, at least it did fit for now on Thursday night. Yeah, for sure. It definitely did. And uh, I think, optimally he would slot into that third line but it's nice to know that you have a guy that you know can jump into the second line um in Dennis Mulligan and you know uh, just watching that game it just felt like it just set the lineup more optimally having Alex Kerfoot back at uh, third line center yeah I think just made things a lot easier for this team that's been really struggling with the uh, the depth scoring to, to get, get the results there I know Pierre Engvall still um doesn't have a point in like his last 18 games or so but it was nice to see Alex Kerfoot get on the board he's a goal post away from uh, scoring a goal, which was nice, and he sets up Kasperi Kapanen on that uh, nice little breakaway pass. So uh, a lot of things to like about the uh, Maple Leafs in that game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, but we'll
we'll see if they're able to carry it over tonight against the Carolina Hurricanes at home. It's a game we'll have here on the Sportsnet Radio Network at 7 o'clock. You, of course, can watch it on Hockey Night in Canada. When we continue on the Sportsnet Hot Stove, we'll talk about the trade deadline and what might be out there for the Maple Leafs. The prices are high. Is Kyle Dubas going to be willing to pay them? We'll talk about it next on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. It's Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, and uh, Ben Lewis here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet Stove, Sportsnet Radio Network, Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, Ben Lewis with you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Maple Leafs back at it tonight, taking on the Carolina Hurricanes at Scotiabank Arena. We'll have the game here on Sportsnet, 590 The Fans, Sportsnet Radio Network, and of course on Hockey Night in Canada. We are inching closer, gentlemen, to the NHL trade deadline, Hockey Central trade deadline day here on uh, Sportsnet 590 The Fan begins uh, bright and early on uh, Monday at 8 a.m. as the Maple Leafs definitely in the mix when it comes to the uh, trade rumors. Looking to add on the back end, of course. I think what has uh, surprised many people over the last uh, little bit here, maybe not many people, but it's surprised some, that uh, a team looking for defense could potentially be interested in moving out one of their defenders. And, of course, Tyson Berry is that name that has been thrown out there. And many different possibilities, I guess, for the Maple Leafs with uh, Tyson Berry. A lot of West uh, Western Conference teams seem to be interested in the pending free agent. But if you're the Maple Leafs, maybe you could move him for prospects and picks and parlay that into acquiring another defenseman with some term. Maybe you're moving Tyson Berry out to get a defenseman back that uh, suits your team just a little bit better. Uh, we talk a lot about Kasperi Kapanen and Travis Dermott and, and maybe some of the other trade chips that uh, this team potentially has, guys, for the uh, deadline. But over the last 24, 48 hours, it seems like Tyson Berry's name is, is really heated up when it comes to the rumor mill mark. And uh, if you're Kyle Dubas, you know, if you're getting bites on Tyson Berry, it all comes down to, to what you're getting, of course. But um, how would you feel about uh, moving out a guy like that when your team is searching for players that can play on the back end? Well, I think you need to look at it. You need to look at everything objectively. And to be honest with you, the team hasn't been incredible defensively over these last couple of weeks with Tyson Berry playing the minutes he's playing. You have to think Morgan Riley is going to come back uh, right before the end of the season to, to spell some of those minutes. And when you're looking at the price tag for defensemen around the league, I mean... I understand that Tyson Berry's been logging a lot of time and he's had an up and down season and you just have to weigh everything. I mean, I, I agree. He's been, he's been subpar for what you thought he would be coming into this year, but he's still, you can't just remove 20 plus minutes a night. So I'm kind of on the fence right there, but I'm also kind of of the opinion that like, if you ship him out, it's not like he's been a defensive stalwart that, you know, if you can get some other pieces and 
package that towards another asset, I'm I'm all for that too. I mean, I don't know what the right answer is. I, I know that I'm sure Kyle Dubas has been on the phone with a bunch of teams trying to see what type of scenario, what money in, money out can can you know be done here. But I wouldn't be upset to see Tyson Berry go just because of the inconsistent season he's had. But I think you also kind of have to be careful what you wish for. People are asking for him to come out of town and then you're replacing 20 plus minutes. So if you're going to trade Tyson Berry, I just hope, I guess that you've got some sort of backup plan on how you're going to find those minutes on the back end because yeah, he hasn't been great, but you know, you still have to dress six defensemen, six quality NHL defensemen. So you better have a plan. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, I think we're underestimating maybe the importance of, well, Morgan Riley to this hockey team and what's really transpired with this blue line. Uh, Riley probably playing a portion of the season through injury and now missing. And uh, clearly Tyson Berry has, is not reliable on the defensive side of the puck. I, I feel like he's kind of been the scapegoat for most of the issues on the Toronto Maple Leafs blue line. And it's funny, really, Jake Gardner was that role for a couple of years. Uh, when we saw a problem with the Maple Leafs, when we saw a turnover, it was always Jake Gardner getting the foot of the blame. And now you look at some of the issues with this blue line, and I almost miss Jake Gardner for this hockey team. <laughs> I, th I think it would be beneficial to have a player like him. So it, it's been a pretty brutally disappointing season. I would say from, from Tyson Berry's standpoint, uh, you're hoping to get more offense probably too. And they may, made this deal with Colorado. I know Vancouver might be interested in a Berry, but yeah, what, what are you getting in return? I will say uh, we've seen so far, there is like a premium on defensemen right now ahead of this trade deadline. You look at Vegas getting Alec Martinez and how much do they have to pay for him? Was well, a couple picks, a couple second round picks. Two seconds, yeah. 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 So that like, that's pretty substantial for uh, a defenseman. Who's not like in the high end caliber, like solid, solid blue liner, but someone who's not going to completely move the needle. So what is Tyson Berry getting? What is Tyson Berry fetching you? And then how are you going to flip that into uh, an upgrade on your blue line. I'm confused at how Kyle Dubas could maybe maneuver the system and make it happen. That's the real challenge here. Yeah, and I guess the the only way to know that is to understand what types of prices are out there for for certain guys with term. Whether we're talking about a player like uh, Josh Manson from Anaheim, you're talking about uh, a guy like Matt Dumba from uh, the Minnesota Wild. Like there's there's a bunch of guys out there, right shot D's that uh, have term it just comes down to to price and for some of those guys you would think it would be pretty hefty and maybe you're not getting enough from uh, a trade for Tyson Berry uh, despite some of the prices that we have seen out there guys getting flipped and uh, I would I, you know despite his warts I'd rather have Tyson Berry than some of those other guys that uh, got moved recently uh, to be honest with you as far as uh, pure rentals go um, so that that's really the difficult challenge understanding what Tyson Berry is actually worth on this market, but the fact that there's been a lot of chatter recently would suggest that uh, the Maple Leafs are definitely getting some calls on him, and uh, maybe they're calling other teams about him um, as well. But uh, that's that's really the one area you're looking at for this Maple Leafs, where you would hope that they could add an upgrade uh, as far as the uh, defense goes. And you know, with the guys that have gotten moved, and a lot of them are you know unrestricted free agents this summer, that would suggest that Cal Dubas is 
looking for players that, you know, can not only help this year, but next year. He's not interested in the Dylan DeMellos of the world. You, you don't think he could have matched that price that uh, the Ottawa Senators got for Dylan DeMello? I'm sure he could have, but mm-hmm. he, it's pretty clear that he's not interested uh, in that. And, and with a team that is, you know, dealing with uh, some cap issues, and not at least this year because they have the LTIR, but moving forward, you want to have some cost certainty. You want to have some guys in there um, that, that you know what they're going to be making, especially when, by all accounts, we're going to be hearing a Jake Muzzin extension before the end of the, the regular season. So they have to make sure that uh, the money fits for this team moving forward. And, and maybe the last thing that you want is, you know, having guys that are UFAs and, and trying to figure out where they they fit in your cap system. So Tyson Berry right at the top of the list. Um, Kasperi Kapanen is the other guy that's that's definitely been mentioned for this Maple Leafs team. It helps that he scored a goal the other night and played one of his best games of the season. That'll help the, uh, the trade value. Um, but, you know, that's why it's difficult for me when I see a game like that from him and I go... This guy's not 27. This guy's 22 years old. He fits into this core when it comes to the age range and, you know, where the other core guys are at in their careers. And when he can give you a game like that, I know it hasn't been super consistent this year, but he's still on pace to put up, you know, 45 points or so, which is exactly what he did last year. Uh, I think we have to put in context when it comes to guys like Kasperi Kapanen, um, how they accumulate their points. I mean, he's not playing a ton of power play. He's playing a lot of penalty kill. So he really only has a ton of chances at even strength. And his line mates this year have, have had a tough time. He's been a big part of that as well. But I have trouble sometimes giving up on 22-year-old wingers that skate like the wind and have some skill, and we see the grit from time to time as well. You know, he's the type of guy that you can still dream on because he's still so young, Mark. Well, I think, you know, part of the reason why he always seems to be in these trade rumors and he always seems to be the first forward discussed to be shipped out of town is it isn't really fair to him, but it's just just kind of the reality of the situation. I mean, none of the big four are going anywhere, and Tavares, Nylander, Matthews, and Marner – and, you know, obviously you're not looking to subtract from the back end because the Leafs need to add to the back end. Freddie Anderson and Jack Campbell aren't going anywhere. So when you're looking at the strengths of the team and that they're top heavy and none of those guys in the core are going anywhere, just kind of by default, it seems it's Kasperi Kapanen or Andreas Janssen that need to be shipped out to improve the back end in all these pie-in-the-sky scenarios. So um, I think that's kind of... The frustrating part is that he's kind of just thrown into the rumor mill just based on just the other guys being locked up and that he has a manageable contract and he's he signed. So I can see why people are always the first, why he's always the first one people throw into these trade scenarios. But uh, you're right. Like he has been, he hasn't been on the power play very often. He does most of his damage at five on five. And, you know, he's the type of guy that if he goes to another team and gets opportunity in the top six and gets some time on special teams, he could he could thrive. So it's just another one of those situations where we're saying, hey, I understand that Tyson Berry can bring you back some assets. But again, like just like I'm saying, be careful with training Tyson Berry and replacing those minutes. I mean, don't be don't be shocked if Kasperi Kapanen could thrive in a different situation. Yeah, look, I, I thought Andreas Janssen was the, the better available trade ship until obviously that's become unavailable because he he's done for the season. And uh, Kasperi Kapanen, not that I'm incredibly high on him, I think he provides a, especially a lot of value just to the penalty kill. You, you saw especially what he would do last year and, and through uh, even that lengthy playoff series, creating opportunities on the penalty kill uh, that I, I don't think that bottom six has 
another presence quite like him uh, just by virtue of his speed. You know, he's not the sharpest decision maker on this hockey team. He's not the best passer on this hockey team. But when you're someone with significant breakaway speed, and as you said, only 22 years old, uh, he's the type of guy who might create create a huge goal for you and say, let's let's fingers crossed they get into the playoffs, you know, have some big time third period goal when he gets loose on a breakaway and, and scores one. Uh, I, I don't know that he's the type of player Kyle Dubas even would want to be giving up on uh, at his age and, and given that cap friendly uh, salary that he does have. So he still scored 12 goals this season. I, I think Thursday night was big for him, but it's also boosted his value. Uh, but I, I don't know that I am that comfortable with moving him at this point. Yeah, it's uh, going to be you know a situation where you're going to have to be getting something back that, that makes your hockey club better this year and, and next year. But he's one of the chips. Uh, him alongside Tyson Berry. I think you can throw in a guy like uh, Travis Dermott potentially as well with the glut of uh, you know left shot defensemen that this team currently has. But uh, I think we would all be surprised if the Maple Leafs didn't do anything before the uh, trade deadline on Monday. You know, it seems like Kyle Dubas is making a ton of phone calls trying to manufacture something before the uh, deadline on Monday. So we shall see keep it tuned here to sportsnet 590 the fan on the sportsnet radio network as well we'll have the latest for you if something does go down when it comes to the uh, toronto maple leafs and the trade deadline when we continue we'll uh, take a look around the national hockey league we touched on before some teams beefing up for the uh, playoff race and alex ovechkin still stuck on 699 goals will he ever get to the 700 mark we'll talk about it next on the sportsnet hot stove rob wong ben lewis mark boffo here on the sportsnet radio network Ben Lewis, Mark Boffo here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up, we'll chat about the Toronto Raptors who refuse to lose. They are uh, starting a new winning streak, taking down the Phoenix Suns. Last night, they'll host the uh, Indiana Pacers tomorrow before a big game on Tuesday against the Milwaukee Bucks here in the city of Toronto. We'll talk, talk about that. We'll also chat about the Blue Jays, who are back, baby. The boys of summer returning to your radio this afternoon. Great for league season beginning. First pitch flies just after 1 o'clock. Trent Thornton getting the start for the Blue Jays against the uh, New York Yankees pregame show at 12.30. But the NHL trade deadline, as we mentioned, is uh, approaching quickly. Coming up on uh, Monday afternoon, we'll have uh, wall-to-wall coverage here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and on Sportsnet. And uh, as per usual, gentlemen, especially the last couple of years, a lot of deals before the deadline, which is uh, driving the uh, people here at Sportsnet mad that uh, teams are not waiting until uh, Monday to get the uh, job done. But uh, it still feels like deals are going to be made on Monday. And if uh, maybe the teams could hold off on some of the bigger names, that would be uh, great for us. Chris Kreider, of course, Jean-Gabriel Pajot. We mentioned Tyson Berry before, maybe an Ilya Kovalchuk. Some of those guys could be on the move. Maybe we even get a Joe Thornton-Patrick Marlowe trade, which I think would uh, spice things up. And Joe Thornton has been a name that has been linked to Toronto. So that would be uh, good for us here. Um, but 
the trade deadline, it's just not what it used to be, in my opinion, because of the salary cap that has really neutered a lot of these deals because you have to make sure it works um, under your salary cap. There's no longer, you know, just seventh round picks being dealt for, you know, 35 year old guys or whatever. And you're just bringing in all these vets. So it has changed uh, over the last uh, few years for sure. Uh, but Chris Kreider is the, the one guy that I mentioned right at the top of the list. He would be a fit on so many different teams. The Maple Leafs especially could use that, uh, you know, top six, uh, you know, left winger that can uh, bring the size, bring the physicality, of course. But, you know, it, it's uh, definitely not great for the Maple Leafs and other teams in the Eastern Conference when you hear a team like Boston being linked to a guy like Chris Kreider and, and other teams like that. He's, he's clearly the one big chip left. And we've seen some other teams, you know, hold back some of their guys. It is surprising that the Rangers are still playing him at this point. And, you know, I saw somebody mentioned yesterday, I think it was Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, that uh, Chris Kreider being held on for the wild card push by the New York Rangers is not something <laughs> that I expected. But here we are. That's still super unlikely. It, it does feel like the Rangers are going to move him. Um, but that's really the one guy that I look at. And, you know, if he he gets moved, that that's probably going to be, be the biggest trade on uh, Monday at the very least. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, it's it's funny. You look at the standings right now uh, and just the way the National Hockey League is, is constructed uh, and how tight things get. The Rangers, they feel like they're way out of it. But then you look and they're actually only five points back of Columbus for that second wild card with a couple games in hand. It is, I suppose, conceivable that they could hang on to Chris Kreider, but it feels unlikely. And, uh, you know, you have other teams like Winnipeg uh, making deals, picking up Cody Eakin. Uh, the teams that kind of probably should scare the Maple Leafs, as you mentioned, are the Boston Bruins. They already made uh, a deal just yesterday, getting Andre Case from from Anaheim, uh, just, just bolstering what is already such an impressive uh, squad kind of from top to bottom. So it's these little moves that you're seeing from top-end teams like a Boston, Tampa, uh, St. Louis that I, I think should give you pause and, and be fearful. Other teams kind of Winnipeg, adding Cody Eakin, you have a few other squads that are sort of desperate trying to make the playoffs because anything can happen in the big dance. But uh, I'm, I'm not sure that we're going to see anything massive go down on Monday. Yeah, like Kreider is definitely the needle mover. But, you know, you mentioned a team like the Leafs who should have definite interest in them. I just don't know if they have the horses to get a deal done. They already gave up their first uh, to get rid of Marlowe's salary. And, you know, I just feel like the Rangers are looking to hit a home run there with you know, like you said, they could easily keep them too. They're not too far out of the playoffs. Right. Somebody that could be extended. So I don't. I think if they are going to trade them, they want to hit a home run. And I just don't know if the Leafs have the pieces to make that work. But uh, guys, like we talked about Tyson Berry last segment. To me, like the defense, the market for defensemen is just crazy. Like when you factor in that the Habs just traded Scandella to the St. Louis Blues for a second and a fourth after only acquiring him for a fourth like a month ago. It just seems like teams are willing to overpay for defensemen, which is why I think if you're Kyle Dubas, you need to kind of explore all options, even if that means looking at the market for a Tyson Berry. Yeah, that's that's really what it's going to come down to for sure. And uh, like I mentioned before, I would love to see some of these other guys, you know, the bigger name guys get moved, whether it's Anilia Kovalchuk. I think that would be cool to see if you're Montreal. I, I I understand that they're thinking about keeping him and signing him to an extension, but 
that's not a risk you want to take at this point. The guy's 36 years old. Yeah. Like, I know he's having a great run here, and it's been sunshine and rainbows with him uh, in Montreal. But get the assets when you can get them. He's, he was free money. You found him on the street. Mm -hmm. You might as well get something for him. Uh, but Joe Thornton, that's that's a guy, even if it's not Toronto, would love to see him go to somewhere where he can have a chance at a cup. Like, I understand it's, it's uh, uh, you know, the stage of his career where maybe he's feeling settled in San Jose, feels the loyalty there. But come on, man, just... We want to see that guy raise the Stanley Cup before it's all said and done, and that's not going to happen this year. So the only way it works is if he decides to go um, somewhere else and, and try to chase that ring. But, you know, maybe there's some surprises along the way that we're not expecting either. We, we talked about some of the guys that the Maple Leafs could be interested in. I know, I know their names have been out there, Josh Manson and Matt Dumba, but it doesn't seem likely that they're going to be moved unless those teams get really, uh, you know, have their socks blown off at this stage. So uh, maybe that's something that could go down, someone we won't know or haven't seen on these uh, trade lists that, you know, could be moved before Monday because that would definitely spice things up. Yeah, that's that's possible. And you mentioned, like, a Matt Dumba, he's, he's not even having a particularly good season. So is that something maybe you explore for that reason because that'll bring down his value you look at some of these other teams that are obviously going to be sellers Montreal as you mentioned they should get rid of any piece they can and I, I think they're probably going to fetch something for Jeff Petrie for example uh, he should fetch not not a ransom but they'll do well there San Jose should be sellers Chicago you have to think they would be shipping out like a Gustafson uh, as well so there's there's going to be available pieces here uh, but it's going to be a bit of a, a market squeeze. And how can Kyle Dubas kind of get the Maple Leafs ahead on this? And I, I'd i like to think, I, I know sometimes this this fan base has soured on Kyle Dubas when things are going wrong, but I, I think he's definitely an astute hockey mind. He's not going to make a deal uh, which he doesn't think is beneficial, not just for the hockey club in the next month, but is sensible even into 21 2021, uh, for example, he, he's not going to mortgage a future for, for a Matt Dumba, for example. It's not going to happen. Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's a huge argument to be made is, you know, when you see that they're, they've been treading water this year and there has been that inconsistency, is this the year that you really want to push in all the chips and go for it? Like, is this team ready? I don't I don't know. But uh, for, for me, guys, I just feel like I just feel like we're going to see some moves ahead of the deadline. It's tough to know because I, it's tough to really decipher all the rumor mill because I think there truly are a lot of what if scenarios out there where it's like maybe a deal doesn't get done unless, you know, you pick up something from another team and have to parlay it into a different asset. I just think everything's on the table right now. And, you know, I don't think you can really trust the rumor mill at this year. I, I brought it up last week on the show how, Jack Campbell wasn't even mentioned. It was always right. Gorgiev was the goalie that the Leafs were interested in, and you weren't really hearing too much about Jack Campbell. So you don't know who they're talking to, or you know the Leafs or any other team for that for that matter, and you just kind of see uh, who goes where when the dust settles. Yeah, that's what uh, we're all waiting for, and just uh, a few days left to uh, see how it all goes down the nhl uh, trade deadline on monday afternoon we'll have hockey central trade deadline coverage here on sportsnet 590 the fan the sportsnet radio network and sportsnet all day on monday so uh, get locked in and uh, get ready for that coverage when we continue here on the sportsnet hot stove final hour of the program we'll tip things off Talking about the Raptors, who uh, returned from the All-Star break with an impressive win over the Phoenix Suns. They are uh, preparing for that game against the Milwaukee Bucks on Tuesday. We'll chat some hoops coming up here on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. It's Rob Wong, Ben Lewis, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
Sportsnet Hot Stove, Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Wong, Ben Lewis, Mark Boffa with you. Been waiting weeks to hear that ID once again. We finally got it. And the uh, calming voice in a stormy sea of hot takes. Is that what it said? <laughs> uh, it's true. It's true. As, as uh, one man in this city used to, stay, uh, used to say, steady on the rudder. And uh, that's exactly what I am. Steady on the rudder. Just going to show up to work every day and uh, work hard. Uh, I'm a good family man. That stuff's important. And uh, that's why we're here on this Saturday morning on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Ben Lewis, and uh, Mark Boffa with you. You can text us, 590-590. Just give us your name and your location on the uh, text line. Mark, you just saw a very interesting text that we got. Yeah. Um, you know, it's trade season, so a lot of scenarios coming in here on the text line. Chris from Calgary writes, if the Oilers gave you Russell and Puyarvi, would you take that deal for Tyson Berry? Oh, boy. Uh now, Chris Russell, I believe, still has a lot of term and uh, dough left on that deal as I, as I look it up here. Let's uh, find it on uh, the interwebs. But Chris Russell, uh, let's see here. He's uh, currently hurt. Is that the looks of it? Uh, he might be hurt at this stage. I haven't uh, watched many Edmonton Oilers games of late. Uh, he's on injured reserve, and he's got uh, one more year after this season at $4 million. Left shot D, not a guy that's uh, particularly good when it comes to uh, driving offense. That's for sure. 32 years old. Uh, that part would be just to throw in, I think, just to make maybe salaries match at this stage. Uh, but Jesse Pugliarvi is the intriguing part, and I guess it depends on how you want to view his numbers overseas because uh, in Finland this year with Karpat, he's got uh, 48 points in 48 games, 21 goals, 27 assists. It's uh, never translated so far at the NHL level, um, so that's uh, what we understand, of course, would be the adjustment there, but he's still 21 years old, uh, has the pedigree, guys, a former fourth overall pick in that 2016 draft. I think a lot of people thought this guy was going to be just a superstar alongside Connor McDavid and uh, Leon Dreisaitl, and it has, hasn't panned out. Uh, we haven't heard his name linked at all to the to the Maple Leafs, so that would suggest that they really don't have any interest in that. I know it's just a hypothetical um, fantasy trade. Uh, I, I know when he was first in Finland, people thought, oh, maybe that's a guy the Maple Leafs should go after, but it seemed like the Oilers were asking for the world. So I'm not sure Tyson Berry is going to get that trade done at this point. I, w- I wouldn't think so. My memory of Puliyarvi, I always just think of the World Juniors where he completely tore it up for Finland, uh, what, going back four years ago uh, uh, when when they won a gold medal there. Uh, he was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, he seems like this high-end talent type of skill player, uh, but uh, as you mentioned, hasn't yet fully translated to the NHL level. But yeah, I, I'm not sure Tyson Berry, given that he's underperformed that season, would get that deal done anyhow. Yeah, I, I don't even know where Puyarvi's head's at now. I mean, it seems like if he's going to uh, if he's going to take the next step in the NHL, it's going to be outside of Edmonton. And you know, I don't know if he wants to even come back to the NHL anytime soon, or if he thinks he's got a good thing going overseas right now. Where you know, you mentioned Rob, he's a point per game player. He certainly wasn't that uh, at the NHL level here, so. Yeah, I mean, I know it's a hypothetical, but I, if I'm the Leafs, I don't think I'd do that deal either. No, I don't think uh, so. It's It'd be difficult uh, to take on a, a guy like Chris Russell at this point, of course, but uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, maybe there's something out there. Uh, it feels like we'll see him back in the NHL uh, at some point, but uh, definitely uh, not uh, this year, of course, with uh, what he's doing overseas. Uh, so as far as the Raptors go, they're back at it, or they were back at it last night with a win over the Phoenix Suns as uh, they continue uh, to win games, uh, despite the fact that everyone seems to be uh, still 
wanting to count them out and, and maybe they're not as uh, legitimate as they may seem. I know I fall into that category sometimes because I look at teams like the Milwaukee Bucks and I look at the Clippers and the Lakers and I say, man, those uh, teams are really, really good. Are the Raptors in that stratosphere? And it's interesting because I've heard some, you know, recent comments from people south of the border uh, that cover the NBA that, you know, maybe the Raptors do have more than a puncher's chance against teams like Milwaukee and some of these other squads because of everything they went through last year and just how supremely talented they still are, how well they play as a unit, how well coached they are. And that game on Tuesday against the Milwaukee Bucks that uh, will be here in Toronto will be a pretty big litmus test. You never want to just take, um, you know, things from just one game and say like this is it this is the truth or this is uh you know not going to work out for the raptors if they lose that game but that will say a lot to me how they perform in that one whether it's competitive non-competitive what they can do against a guy like Giannis, like that's what i'm going to be looking for in that game on, on tuesday night it's been uh, circled on a lot of people's calendars i think and, and the raptors included so um it's it's been a while since the raptors have faced like some serious tests here along the way during that crazy win streak they were on taking down uh, 15 straight in a row but uh man tuesday now nah, it's that's that's what i'm looking for here when it comes to the second half of the season yeah look it's it's an unfair caveat but as as you mentioned you look at that that 15 game winning streak and the one knock which is always an unfair knock because you can only play the teams in front of you on your schedule was that was a light portion of the schedule for the raptors running off those 15 wins there were a lot of lesser light teams that they were comfortably beating they did have some tests in in, in there you know the back to back wins of the Pacers particularly stand out a, a great win uh, against the 76ers I think in late January was impressive too but uh, they haven't faced the likes of uh, Milwaukee and it uh, has been a while since they're They've uh, played Milwaukee. You have to go back to, what, I guess early November. I'm looking now at the schedule. So uh, this is like the litmus test game on, on Tuesday. And then it starts with uh, another tough matchup against the Pacers. But uh, right now, 16 of 17 and kind of a wild game against the Suns last night where Phoenix hung around for like a lot longer than you would have expected. It felt like it was over kind of early third quarter, but Phoenix was just chipping and chipping away. Uh, but defensively, a uh, very sound game for Toronto when they needed it because the offense kind of went cold in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, you don't like seeing Siakam and, and you know, the starters out there with the last couple, you know, last few minutes of the game when in a game that you've been leading the entire way. But, you know, you want to secure the win and I, you let them into like it was they were up over 20 and then it became like a seven or nine point game. So. I don't I don't mind Nick Nurse, you know, playing the guys in, uh putting the guys back in there, especially the first game back from a bit of a layoff. So, uh yeah, you'd like to see them close out uh teams that they should be beating, but um other than that, I'm I'm with you, Rob. I mean, if, if you're the Raptors, it's a tough game to it's a tough game not to look ahead to when you you know you're facing the Bucks uh on Tuesday and that goes for tomorrow against the Pacers too. I mean, it is the litmus test like you guys had said and I mean I don't know I mean win or lose on Tuesday night I just feel like the Raptors are in such a good spot and that once the playoffs start they've got that championship pedigree now but I feel like they don't have any of the pressure on them there's still a large portion of NBA fans and pundits out there that just think that they should be happy to be where they are right now so I feel like once the playoffs get started all the pressures on a team like the Bucks, who have been in the driver's seat and the first seed all season long. And they're the ones that, you know, they have the bad taste in their mouth from last year and they need to take the next step now. 
Yeah, for sure. And and you would have it'd be interesting to, you know, see how guys from Milwaukee, you know, feel about the Raptors this year. Is it a case where they look and say, Well, Kawhi's not there anymore. He's the guy that stopped us. We feel pretty good about beating this Raptors team. We're not scared of them. I don't think any of these teams at the top end of the Eastern Conference are scared of each other uh, necessarily, but uh, maybe what Milwaukee does have some confidence knowing that Kawhi Leonard's not there anymore, despite what they've seen from the Raptors. They did beat them earlier this year. It was way back in October, so a lot of things have have definitely changed. But you know, you watch a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo, and that guy can take over a game instantly. That guy's scared of nobody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we, I, I made this point the other night that that All-Star game last weekend, Team Giannis wins if he decides, like, this matters. But he was like, <laughs> this is the All-Star game. I'm playing hard, but this isn't, like, the playoffs. I'm not going to risk injury for myself or one of the other players on the floor, like, because he easily could have just went to the rim numerous times like there was a moment where he had James Harden in front of him and he was like kind of dribbling around and you could tell he was like I want to go to the rim so bad and just cram it on team LeBron but I don't (laughs) want to risk it like I'll just hand it off and just hope we can get some buckets here or there like that guy is one of the most determined players uh, in the NBA right now for me he's the MVP of the uh, league this season And, and that's really what it comes down to what did we talk for so many years about when it came to this Raptors team that they don't have that superstar player they don't have that third guy that could have assisted with Kyle Lowry and uh, DeMar DeRozan in those years and it wasn't until last year when they got a bonafide superstar that they were able to take that next step they were a great team without him they won a lot of games but they don't win in the playoffs without Kawhi Leonard last year you still uh, need for the most part to have that singular guy that you can trust in in big stretches of the game and this year, the Raptors have been doing it by committee. And I guess the one team you can look at in recent years that sort of had that identity is the Detroit Pistons, of course, with Rich Hamilton, uh, Rasheed Wallace, Chauncey Billups, Tayshaun Prince, uh, Ben Wallace. You know, like that's that team is like this Raptors team. You're looking at a lot of very above average players put together. They play as a unit and you're hoping you can replicate that. But it's like, that's an outlier, right? Like all the other teams in the history of the NBA that have won championships, it's been one or two or three superstar players that have carried them to titles. So that's why I look at this Raptors team and I say, as fun as it has been, you know, it still reverts back to they don't have that one superstar guy yet that can, in my opinion, carry them over a team like the Milwaukee Bucks that do have that guy. Well, that's that's a great reference point uh, of, of that Detroit Pistons squad. And as you mentioned, it is an outlier, but uh, I, I suppose the Raptors as a team do feel like maybe the most cohesive unit in the NBA the way they play together and it, it translates on the defensive side of the ball what they're they're the second ranked defensive team in the NBA which is phenomenal uh, Pascal Siakam has, has proven himself as an exceptional uh, ball scorer uh, just this season the strides he's taken but still then you know you, you look at the top 10 in scoring and Pascal Siakam is not there there's no Toronto Raptor there uh, Siakam what 15th in the league uh, just averaging under 24 points Per game, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is a absolute bona fide superstar. No question about it. So is a James Harden, a LeBron James, a Kawhi Leonard. You don't have a presence on that Raptors team that is like that. But I am so impressed by the fact that they can comfortably not only win and close out these games, but do it with different options. And then you look up and down the roster and realize, well, they've done it without Marcus all the past nine games. Norm Powell has a broken hand. We saw the success when, uh, you know, Fred Van Vliet was dealing with injury. Kyle Lowry was dealing with injury. So there might not be many teams in the NBA who have as much depth as the Toronto Raptors do. And whether that will translate over into the playoffs remains to be seen. But I think those kind of crunch minutes where you get, you have to rely on bench guys 
for scoring those little three to four minute stretches. If the Raptors can be outscoring teams in the playoffs in those stretches, maybe they can succeed without the bonafide superstar like Giannis. Yeah, I mean, honestly, guys, I feel like anything can happen with the Raptors this year. Like, I'm not ready to just say that the the Bucks have the best player and that they're going to walk out of the East. I mean, you know, we had Kawhi Leonard last year along with Lowry as All-Stars. You had Siakam and Lowry this year. Uh, I'm not trying to discount what Kawhi Leonard did. You don't win the championship without him last year. He hit some massive shots and played amazing defense. But I'm more on the side of, like, Pascal Siakam's taking a larger step this year. Van Vliet's taking a larger step. Gasol was, you know, it seems like they're just going to take their time with Marc Gasol and get him healthy purely for a, a playoff run. And when you look at somebody like Nick Nurse, who isn't afraid to make adjustments and not stay static, I think that the, the sky's the limit. I mean, you can't really you can't really pencil him in as representing the East in the finals because anything can happen. I'm still, I think Boston has played phenomenal the last uh, month or so. Uh, whereas before I thought that they weren't really a threat. So, you know, you got, you have to play the games and get through these teams, but I think the Raptors scare a lot of teams in the East, especially when you just see the run that they've been on for the past two seasons. For sure. Uh, they have been impressive this year, and I think it really stands out. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, I think, on one of the ESPN shows where um, I think it was Jackie McMullen maybe mentioned that uh, she was talking to Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics, and she asked him, like, who guards you the toughest in the NBA? And I think she was looking for a, a singular player, and he mentioned the Toronto Raptors. Like, they, that whole team, like, they just throw so many different looks at us, and, and me specifically, that it can throw me off my game. So that's a testament to the Raptors players and the hard work that they show on the defensive end. But, of course, uh, a big nod to uh, Nick Nurse and uh, the job that he has done so far this year. And uh, I think we all keep talking for me right now, front runner as far as a uh, coach of the year award in the NBA for the job that he has done with the uh, losses of a guy like Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, and just the numerous injuries that this team has faced over the entire season. So uh, Marcus Gasol said to come back, of course, at some point here to uh, help out that front court. But uh, a really interesting report yesterday that uh, Markeith Morris uh, could have been an interest to the Raptors. Looks like he's probably going to the Lakers at this stage, but uh, still gives you a sense that the Raptors are looking to add here in the uh, buyout market. The, the only reason I thought Markeith Morris was interesting is because he's a guy that could definitely get some burn, get some run with some other teams that are competing for a title or competing for a playoff spot. Not sure that's going to be the case here in Toronto where he's got to, you know, fight through some guys like Marcus Saul when he's back, Serge Ibaka, Ronnie Hollis-Jefferson, Chris Boucher. There's a lot of bodies here, um, but it's pretty evident that the Raptors are still looking for something just uh, as, you know, an emergency because they have dealt with so many injuries this year. If Gasol or Ibaka does go down before the playoffs, it'd be nice to, you know, have a guy like uh, Markeith Morris say what you will about uh, his uh, personality. He's got uh, a lot of grit. If we're talking about uh, hockey terms, he uh, can be uh, a bit of a mercurial guy uh, at times. But uh, unlike last year where it was pretty evident that the Raptors were not going to do much aside from get another point guard and it was Jeremy Lin, I find it interesting that uh, Marquise Morris would be someone on or uh, Marquise Morris would be someone on their uh, radar. What about you, Mark? Well, I mean, I you, you mentioned Lin. He's that they got last year. He didn't even play in the playoffs until it was garbage time. So anybody that they're looking at in the bio market, you're really just looking to, you know, chop off some minutes of, you know, whether they get somebody in the back quarter in the front court, you just want to not tax guys like Serge Ibaka and Mark soul and, and guys like that. So 
I think that's the exact type of player they should be going after in the buyout market. I don't think, you know, Morris will be available. Sounds like all indications are he will go to the Lakers, but that's all you really want is like we mentioned how we mentioned how Phoenix clawed back into the game yesterday before the Raptors finally pulled away. It's like I'd much rather see a Markeith Morris on the floor than a Pascal Siakam to close out that game. So I think uh, that's all you're really looking for in the buyout market at this at this point. You just want some solid vets who are ring chasing a bit and that you feel comfortable with in they when they do see the floor for those you know five ten minutes a night yeah uh well credit to uh ronde hollis jefferson i thought he did a pretty nice job in that fourth quarter down the stretch uh when it felt like toronto couldn't really buy a basket he was he was cutting and getting himself to the free throw line keeping things afloat when uh things were going sideways for a period of time but uh in terms of names like linked to the raptors and what they would be looking at for an addition I guess one one flaw that seems to come up a lot with this team is, is rebounding help and not having maybe that consistent inside presence on the glass uh, to bring down boards in crucial moments. Uh, so obviously, Markeith Morris would kind of fit that mold. Uh, so you're right. You know, Serge Ibaka is having what it's not a career year, but he's been exceptional this season. What does this team look like if? he is, you know, runs himself into an injury or Marcus Gasol isn't 100% and can't give you big-time minutes in the playoffs, uh, what are your solid options going to be down low? And can can you trust guys like Chris Boucher come playoff time to play key minutes for you? I think is like a big question probably facing Nick Nurse and the staff. Yeah, you would think so for sure uh, with this team. And look, they're they're a great team. They're a solid team. I, I just have question marks sometimes about what their actual ceiling is. And, and I, you know, maybe I'm gauging it wrong. I think most people don't think, like it, it, when you look around the NBA, whether it's the Bucs or the other teams, that this team, you know, can win a title and it's going to be automatic. It's, it's going to be tough, just like it was last year. I mean, the Raptors barely squeaked past uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. They had to make some adjustments there to get through uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, and they had to have some luck go their way to, to win the NBA title against the Golden State Warriors. So um, you always need a little bit, of that, of course, but uh, this team, at the very least, is incredibly fun to watch and uh, they are one of the most entertaining teams in, in recent history here in the city of Toronto so um, it, it's definitely enjoyable to uh, watch them play on uh, any given night as they will uh, take on the Indiana Pacers tomorrow before hosting the Milwaukee Bucks on Tuesday nights when we continue on the Sportsnet hot stove we'll shift over to the Blue Jays who are back today great for league action kicking off as uh, they will take on the New York Yankees we'll have that game here on the Sportsnet radio network at one o'clock you're listening to the Sportsnet hot stove Rob Wong Ben Lewis Mark Bob on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet Rob Wong, Ben Lewis, Mark Boffa with you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Don't forget Blue Jays baseball coming up at 1 o'clock here on the Sportsnet Radio Network as uh, Trent Thornton will get the start for the Blue Jays this afternoon in the first Grapefruit League action for Toronto. They'll take on the New York Yankees. Ben Wagner, Mike Wilner on the call today here on the Sportsnet 
Radio Network. And uh, like we were talking before, guys, always great when uh, baseball is back, spring training baseball, because it means the uh, weather is going to start improving. And uh, speaking of improving, this team has improved a lot over the offseason. Many additions, including Hyunjin Ryu, of course, the uh, top prize for this Blue Jays team in the uh, offseason. And uh, as always is the case, whether it's spring training, training camp and hockey or basketball or, you know, football, Positive vibes, right? No one, everybody's zero, zero. Everybody's in the best shape of their lives and everybody's coming in with a, a lot of optimism. But, you know, as the, the, the days and the weeks have gone on here leading into spring training and, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure it'll be the case as we, you know, get closer to first pitch and on opening day, that I'm starting to get the sense that, you know, maybe this Blue Jays team could actually surprise. And, and I don't think they're going to win the division by any means, but could they get a second wild card spot? It's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's a super high percentage. I wouldn't bet my life on it. wouldn't bet like a ton of dough on it. But when you look at uh, this rotation, they have added a bunch of guys. And Hyunjin Ryu, like I mentioned right at the top of the list, is the ace of this staff. But they've got some guys that can give you innings. And that's something last year, too many times, guys were leaving in the third or leaving in the second inning, just getting knocked around. They had to go with an opener a bunch of times just to make sure that they could get through the first uh, you know, side of the order uh, with the opposition. But you look at the guys that they brought in, some veteran guys that can give you some good innings, um, give you maybe, you know, 170 plus this year. That offense is what really jumps off the page to me. And when you have guys like Vlad Guerrero and Bo Bichette, and the list goes on and on and on, you know, there might be some games where you're winning seven to five, but that's still a W in the column, Ben, and uh, you'll take it. So I don't think this rotation is going to lead the league in ERA by any means, but there's a chance this offense could be really, really good, and that uh, could you know win a lot of games for them. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a fairly electric lineup, honestly. Probably my favorite piece of it is a shortstop in Bo Bichette. Uh, I think he was phenomenal. You look at when he was called up uh, last season and what he produced uh, offensively and along the base pass over the last couple of months. He, for me, is the most exciting player, and, and I'm curious uh, if he can take another step forward a as well. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., of course, I, I think he wants to take that additional step forward and, and prove that he's going to be reliable in this outfield, Kevin Biggio. And then Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, I think probably for a lot of people, had an underwhelming uh, 2019 when, when you break down the stats. But uh, when, when you keep in mind that this was his first season uh, playing, playing in the big leagues, OPS of what 771 is is really pretty solid actually overall for a rookie. We had obviously placed such high end ex expectations on what Vladdy Jr. could do, and then you look around the leagues at, at, at other superstars like an Acuna and a Juan Soto, and you, you're seeing these other breakout pieces have such phenomenal seasons. I think probably Blue Jays fans thought it would come immediately with Vladdy Jr., but I, I think it could be helpful for him that he's already had that season of growing pains. Uh, we know his eye at the plate and uh, his ability to see the ball and, and be selective with the pitch he's he's going to take a rip at I, I think it could be a, a big step forward in 2020 I'm with you Ben like I think it was just based on the sky high expectations it was a tad of a tad disappointing to see the year Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had but again I think that it was just expectations and you know it's the blow softened a little bit when you have another phenom prospect and Bo Bichette that got called up and you know he'd didn't look out of place at all as soon as he got to the majors. So uh, you, you take the good with the bad, but both, uh, both have bright futures. And I agree that the offense should take a, a nice step forward this year. 
But Rob, I thought you brought up a great point off the top about the rotation. I mean, I don't think anybody is really, you know, going to blow the doors off you here, but they have solid, dependable arms that can eat some innings for you. Even just guys like Chase Anderson, Matt Shoemaker, who, you know, had a bit of a freak injury last year, but I think Jays fans really liked what they saw in a small sample size. So one through four, now you've kind of have some stability, you know, that guys are locked in. And then with Yamaguchi and guys like Trent Thornton, whoever wants to lock down that fifth spot, it looks like you at least have some stability. And I haven't even mentioned Nate Pearson yet. You don't know when he's going to be up with the big club. You know, he'll start off in Buffalo, but hey, he's just another, you know, top end prospect in the pipeline that you should should see form a nice duo with Ryu uh, for years to come here. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I like the fact that uh, they just have a lot of guys that uh, are, are veteran players uh, when it comes to the rotation because, you know, that's something that last year we saw just so many rookies and guys that were really green get thrown in there. And, you know, some to, to varying degrees had some success. You know, Trent Thornton at times, Jacob Waggispack at times. And, you know, that was nice to see. And, and it was good ultimately that they got those reps and, you know, got their face kicked in at times because uh, that's the only way to learn, uh, you know, by losing and, and obviously not having things go your way. And, and maybe that'll make those guys even better coming into this season that they understand the rigors of Major League Baseball and understand uh, the grind when it comes to that. But uh, if you're the offense, you know, you're looking at guys like Vlad and Bo, like I mentioned before, uh, you just got to feel good that now, you know, you don't feel necessarily the pressure to have to go out there and put up seven, eight, nine runs in order to win a game, knowing that, hey, some days when we're not swinging it, we have a guy like Hyunjin Ryu or we have a guy um, that can lock it down for us and, and give us a chance to win. Uh, that's really all you're asking for. Give the Blue Jays, the offense, a chance to win on uh, every single night and maybe on a lot of nights they're going to be able to you know, get it done. So it was interesting to hear uh, Mark Shapiro's comments uh, to the Toronto Sun the other day. Uh, Rob Longley asking him, you know, Vegas has you guys at 75 and a half wins. Where do you guys project yourselves? And he said, well, internal projections have us over that. He didn't say how much further than that, and they are just projections. And, you know, maybe he was just saying it to get some optimism going. Maybe the projections have them at 76 and not uh, 86. But still interesting that uh, the Blue Jays, you know, see themselves as having a successful season. This doesn't have to be everything in one fell swoop, Ben, that, uh, you know, all of a sudden they have to go from being out of the playoffs and in a rebuild to getting into the wild card. You just want to see some progress. If they can make 500 this year and go 81 and 81, I think a lot of people will be very, very happy. Oh, I think you should be thrilled if you get 81 and 81. 67 and 95 was where they finished last season. But you have to keep in mind what they produced over the final couple of months of the season with the roster that is now here. And that it was just an absolute revolving door of different starting pitchers, constant call-ups. I mean, you mentioned Jacob Wagesback. Ideally, if this rotation is clicking and things are going well... We won't have to see Jacob Wagesback start games. It's it's probably a bad sign if you're having to to dig into AAA Buffalo nonstop and, and find guys who can eat innings for you. That's why they went out and got Tanner Rourke and Chase Anderson. Uh, these aren't guys with high-end electric stuff, uh, but they're proven guys who have pitched uh, you know for years in the National League. Chase Anderson was pretty solid arm with the Milwaukee Brewers. Tanner Rourke had experience in the in a tough NL East. And now you're coming to an environment in the AL East where, look, you look at the Boston Red Sox and their construction probably last year, and they looked like an absolute powerhouse. And now Mookie Betts is gone. Um, 
the Yankees, of course, adding Garrett Cole, I think they're going to be the team to beat. But then the Baltimore Orioles, I, I mean, goodness, uh, can you imagine if that were the state of this franchise right now? It would be uh, <laughs> just simply not tolerated. So, uh, look, we we added Hyun Jin Ryu, who I think is a, a phenomenal pitcher he's an ace the team desperately needed that uh it's going to be exciting to watch him I, I imagine a lot of Blue Jays fans haven't had a chance to see him because he's been pitching on the west coast uh all bulk of his career 10 p.m games but he's a location master he doesn't you know gas at 100 miles an hour but uh, he can pick his spots and he's an impressive starting pitcher and they desperately needed that ace someone they can rely on to not only eat you innings but pitch you deep into ball games and and keep a manageable score and let this offense uh, do some damage well I love what you said too about just the year of growing pains for Vlad Jr and I feel like that kind of goes through the entire team I mean last year was yeah. was more like uh, you know, just a transitional year where a lot of the guys that you're going to be depending on this year didn't start the didn't start the season in Toronto. Guys like Kevin Biggio and stuff like that. So now everybody seems to be you know breaking camp together when you know when it's time to start the season. Everybody who you're who you'll be counting on will be on the roster, and it's kind of just like a fresh start. Whereas you you saw the transition kind of go, you know, you got rid of Pilar last year, you got rid of other guys, and now it's the kids, it's the youth movement. So I think this is truly the first year of seeing everybody up here. And I think uh, I think that management realizes that going and getting a guy like Ryu, you're not getting a guy like that to necessarily win and go in a deep run this year, but you want that stability in place for the next few seasons when they are ready to make a run and you've got the whole group together. Yeah, and that will be the interesting part, you know, when they decide to, you know, really supplement this team to make it a contender. Because Mark Spiro has talked a lot about, you know, going from, you know, 80 wins to 85 and then going, you know, from 85 to 90. Like, uh, in his opinion, like, the, those are pretty big jumps. And, and you know, maybe that's a, a case this year anyways with this offseason with the money they spend on Hyunjin Ryu that the Blue Jays are players maybe in, in, in free agency moving forward now. I mean, to get a Scott Boris guy says a lot yeah. uh, to be spending that type of uh, dough on him. So, you know, you know, maybe that's a signal to other free agents around Major League Baseball that, look, uh, if you want to consider Toronto as a destination, we're definitely interested in bringing you on. Look at this great core we have. So I think if the Blue Jays can take that step this year and, and a lot of these young guys progress, then that's uh, going to send a message to a lot of people around the game that uh, the Blue Jays, uh, this front office, this organization are definitely serious about winning uh, very shortly uh, in the near term. And, and look, this is a prospect farm system that's still ranked in the top 10. There's a lot of guys that are still on their way, and, and those ultimately could be some players that you know could supplement the roster over the next few years. It's always difficult to you know bank on, on having you know rookies come in and, and being impact players, but as we've seen, not even just in Major League Baseball, but around uh, all professional sports, that it's a young man's game, and you have a lot of people coming in in their first few years that are able to make an impact. Heck, just look at the guys that we named uh, on this current roster. So, you know, moving forward, you, you look at uh, guys like Nate Pearson, who we'll probably see at some point this year. Uh, he's going to be, you know, a staple in this rotation. Beyond that, maybe a guy like Jordan Groshans and, you know, Simeon Woods-Richardson. And even if not, you know, those guys are trade chips that you can move to bring in some, you know, impact pieces. There was a chatter a few years ago that maybe Christian Yelich could have been an option for the Blue Jays. Now, supposedly the asking price was both Bo and Vlad, which, uh, <laughs> okay. I mean, Ooh. Christian Yelich is an amazing player. Uh, that's tough to give up. Maybe one, but both, uh, that's that's a non-starter, I think, for this uh, Blue Jays organization. But that's what gets you excited, that uh, even though, 
you know, there's a lot of the young guys here that there's more on the way and potentially, you know, some of those guys could get moved to bring in even, you know, better impact players. So that's, that's why the future is so bright. And I know people, you know, want to listen to this and be like, oh, you're just chilling and, <laughs> and you're just trying to like make things every, make everything seem amazing for this Blue Jays team, but they're in a good spot with the way that they've constructed this roster. Um, they're not in a rebuild anymore necessarily. They're trying to progress and, and move forward, and they have the wherewithal to, to get better pretty quickly. Yeah, and look, I, I mentioned talking about kind of pieces in this rotation where I sort of feel like you know what you're getting, and those are the Tanner Rourke's, and those are the Chase Anderson's, and that's hopefully Hyunjin Ryu, uh, given the phenomenal season he had with the Dodgers last season. But uh, Nate Pearson, for me, is the the wild card piece to this equation. Uh, we've seen phenomenal starting pitchers uh, emerge in the major leagues at young ages and, and set the world on fire. Look, look at a couple of years ago, uh, guys like a, a Tyler Glasnow, for example, the Tampa Bay Rays trading for him, and he's absolutely phenomenal for even a three-month stretch. Nate Pearson, all the reports you're hearing from spring training, he's electric. His slider is a, an absolute wipeout pitch. He, he's grading off the charts. And for a team that has obviously openings in this rotation in that fifth spot. Shunya Maguchi, another another wild card that we don't quite know what we're getting. I I very much think Nate Pearson could be pitching for this team like early May. It wouldn't even surprise me. And my final thought on the Jays guys: one player that I was really happy to see them bring in, and you know I I loved the move just because it's very low risk and I think he's got potential. And I'm tempering expectations at the same time because it's a one-year, four million dollar deal. But Travis Shaw, like, yeah. if he if he's going, he's a solid hitter. And it's kind of like at his best, he's much better than Justin Smoke, in my opinion. And I just think that was a really good move too. A guy that is willing to take the one-year deal to reestablish his value. And I truly believe that he's way closer to the guy you saw in 2017 and 18 than the one that struggled last season. So I think that was just another smart buy low. And if it doesn't work out this year and the Jays are missing the playoffs, then he's definitely a guy that you could flip. Yeah, that would be uh, interesting too as well. You know, Ken Giles is a guy I think a lot of people expected, you know, was going to be traded last year. And then of course he got injured. And then this off season, maybe he was going to get flipped too. But uh, the fact that the Blue Jays have held onto him says um, how they feel about this season and, and wanting to have that guy in the back end of the bullpen. But if for whatever reason, things do go south and things go sour, the Blue Jays definitely have uh, some options to uh, make some more moves and, and maybe improve their team for the future. And uh, ultimately, you know, have some of those guys come in and, and be impact players over the next couple of years, or they can flip those players as well to, to get some other pieces. But uh, they're just in a really, really good spot right now with the uh, current crop of players on the field and uh, what's still to come. They will Finally, get on the field and play some actual baseball this afternoon. Taking on the New York Yankees. We will have that game here on the Sportsnet Radio Network beginning at 1230 with the pregame show. Ben Wagner, Mike Wilner on the call. Trent Thornton gets the start for the Blue Jays this afternoon. Glasses or no glasses? I think that's going to be an interesting question because there was a phase last year he went without glasses. I think he got knocked around actually in that game. <laughs> and then he was like, nah, I got to go back to the glasses. But they fog up. That's why. It's tough to, to keep them on when you're sweating and uh, you have well, to constantly keep wiping them athletes off. Athletes are super superstitious, right? So uh, yeah. if if the numbers with glasses on were substantially better than, than glasses off, 
Why doesn't he get uh, laser eye surgery? That's true. That? Maybe he has. Maybe we don't know that. <laughs> I, I've, I've seen some. I saw Trent Thornton at like Winterfest, and he wasn't wearing glasses, so maybe okay. he did get laser eye surgery. Uh, but we will find out today. It hasn't been uh, much reported. Nobody's written about uh, no his uh, eyes and, and the status of them. Because I remember a couple of years ago, it was like well, Kendrick Morales. Remember he got the uh, eye surgery? Yeah, he was. A lot he had, of no, having... he put on glasses. He put on glasses. Remember, and he then was he was having like... issues with contact lenses. I think if I yeah. recall, yeah. And they put on the glasses, and it looked really weird, and he hit like. <laughs> 50 oh 50 in like the uh in the first few months of the season he's like nah uh, screw the classes and then he ended up having like an okay season the rest of the way but uh we're all happy blue jays baseball is back on the airwaves as that will come later this afternoon one more segment left to come it is the sportsnet hot stove rob wong ben lewis mark boffo on the sportsnet radio network Sportsnet Hot Stove, Sportsnet Radio Network, Rob Wong, Ben Lewis, Mark Boffo here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The Houston Astros will begin spring training, or uh, Grapefruit League League action. Uh, They'll start playing some games very shortly here in the spring, and uh, we shall see how things go for them. There's been a lot of chatter, of course, over the last um, several months, and especially the last couple of weeks from a lot of people in the game when it comes to the Houston Astros and the uh, cheating scandal that they are currently mired in. And uh, I think the one part that is, you know, really made me laugh is, is like the Houston Astros have sort of gotten to the point where they've like almost embraced the heelness of this. Like I think what Alex Bregman had that shirt is like hate us and it had that Houston H or whatever. And I can understand where they're coming from. They, they see a sort of like us against the world mentality. And like the only way we're going to get out of this is to prove it to everyone that the cheating didn't actually help us that much and we're actually good players and winning will shut everybody up. Um, but that's why I laugh at it because it won't matter because people don't want to see them win. And if they do win, people will be like, yeah, we don't care. We still hate your guts. Like, <laughs> I don't think the perception is going to change on these guys until they come out and are accountable for it. Or in the case of like an Alex Rodriguez, it's just like a complete 180 because he's, you know, finds another job and he's really good at it. But Jose Altuve Alex Bregman, Josh Reddick, a lot of these guys, and, and, you know, it was unfortunate to see as well, like Josh Reddick mentioned yesterday, he's getting a lot of death threats and and people are going after his family. Like, that's clearly offside, and and nobody is saying that that should be um, the case. But I I think what's pretty evident right now when we talk about the, you know, Houston Astros and their players and their front office, they're just very um, unlikable right now. And I'm not sure what exactly is going to change that aside from them coming out and giving a full apology, which nobody expects to, to happen because they have been given immunity. The players have on this uh, whole situation, Ben. Well, and they, they make themselves a little bit more unlikable. It feels every day, anytime they, they open their mouths and, and discuss the subject. I thought we had a brief apology from their shortstop, Carlos Correa, Then he turns around the next day and goes after Cody Bellinger, who's probably one of the most well-liked young superstars in the league today. And Cody Bellinger kind of offered what everybody was thinking, that this wasn't fair, you guys cheated, and uh, people discussing that that 2017 MVP, of course, that Jose Altuve won. Uh, Does that really rightfully belong to Aaron Judge? It's extraordinary the the 180 turn I've I've actually taken and, and probably 
baseball fans in general have taken uh, for a character like Jose Altuve. He was probably one of the most lovable players in the league, sort of short stature, big hearts, sort of a, a phenomenal exceptional athlete who is such a great hitter and his stature is five, six. And you love to see like a little kid playing a big man's game and doing so well. And uh, look now, <laughs> you know, it's, it's rare that I'm on the side of a Trevor Bauer and, and going against Jose Altuve, but this is the reality of how far and how deep this cheating scandal was. I mean, you had a website that was documenting trash can bangs uh, repeatedly throughout that 2017 season. And, and it's not like it was like 10 or 20 times. We're talking about in the thousands throughout the course of the season. It was very orchestrated cheating, top level down throughout the players, uh, through the players in this organization. And uh, yeah, it's not it's not tolerated by any fan base. And uh, I, I believe... Dodgers fans are planning to raid uh, one of the Houston Astros spring training games. And I, I don't think they're coming by and saying, we forgive you. I think they're going to give them an earful. And I, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Well, the one thing that's making the Astros look good in all of this is Rob Manfred, because this guy just had a disastrous <laughs> week. Um, addressed uh, addressed a throng of media last weekend and, you know, just seems to be kind of wishy-washy backtracking on his comments. And, you know, it, 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 the consensus seems to be around the sport that not enough was done to punish the Astros and that, you know, a $5 million fine is just a drop in the bucket for a guy like Jim Crane. And it's it just really unfortunate to see that it's, it's, you know, tarnished the game and tarnished the reputations of a lot of these players. But, you know, for... For the Astros to come out and say, you know, we're still really good players and, you know, we're going to, you know, we didn't even have to cheat and whatnot. It's like, well, then why did you cheat in the first place? So it's it, these arguments are just coming up really flimsy. And I'm, you know, I think a lot of people are upset that Manfred is actually defending the players in a way to say, like, you know, you, you can't be beating guys. You can't be throwing at hitters. I obviously you don't want to see anybody get hurt, but I also don't really see how you can police something like that either. I mean, I, I guess you can suspend the pitchers or suspend the teams that are, that are throwing at the hitters. But I think you've just got, you know, an entire sport that's pissed off at these guys right now. And uh, I, I think when the commissioner's addressing, addressing the masses at the podium, you can't just be, you can't just be just throwing that, to the wayside and saying like, Hey, uh, the, the suspensions and people been fired, all that's in the rear view. Now we got to look to playing baseball. I don't think it's as black and white as that. I think you've got an entire, an entire sport that's really upset with how everything's been handled and like it or not guys, it's just going to put more eyes on, on baseball. I think, you know, the ca more casual fans are going to be tuning in just kind of curious to see what's going to be happening, even in spring training, even in these uh, exhibition games. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with the Astros and if people are going to start throwing at them, you know, right away. Yeah, well, well, no, I feel pretty early on in that game if somebody decides to go at it. But, you know, we all understand that the there, there's going to be batters that get hit this year, whether it's by accident, whether it's intentionally, it's it's going to happen. It happens all over Major League Baseball, and it will happen to the Houston Astros. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they um, react to it, if they're going to retaliate in 
those games, we already know that uh, baseball has come out and said that they do not uh, approve of that, and, and there will be um, some stiff penalties uh, that will be applied to teams that you know try to take advantage of that and try to uh, intimidate the Astros or look for retaliation. I always think back of back to when uh, Ryan Dempster hit Alex Rodriguez yep. when he first came back from the the steroids and all that stuff, and uh, A Rod like just took it. He was like, "Yeah, he plucked me. I understand. I'm walking to first base. Didn't make a big deal out of it. It was very odd that Ryan Dempster was the guy that was trying to stand up for uh, Major League Baseball." that time but you know with the houston astros it's not going to be a one-time thing right like it feels like it's something that could progress throughout the season and maybe there's going to be different um things and and who knows what happens if they one of their pitchers hits an opposition pitcher right or a hitter like then all else is going to break loose and it's going to be a bit of a disaster so uh that's what makes this season intriguing just to see how it's all going to play out with teams and, and how they interact with the Astros um, this year. It's been uh, definitely a crazy offseason for many different reasons, and uh, we're all excited for baseball to finally get started. We'll have the uh, Blue Jays on the radio today coming up at 1 o'clock. They take on the New York Yankees. Trent Thornton gets the start in Toronto's first Grape for League action. That'll do it for the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Thanks to Ben Lewis, Mark Boffo. I'm Rob Wong. Coming up next, we'll switch over to Sportsnet today, and uh, we'll do the 411 and let you know what you need to know on this Saturday. This has been the Sportsnet Hot Stove on the Sportsnet at Radio Network.